are three, there are three groups of four when it comes to their level of influence. Uh, we looked at the, the first four in that group. That first group is Peter, Andrew, James, and John. We looked at them. If you've missed any of this, if you're tuning in online or if you're here today, so I didn't get to see all these or hear all these, you can go back on the app, Facebook Live, our YouTube channel, um, and you can, you can check that out and hear the, old, the past lessons. But in the second group, we've already covered Philip, Nathaniel, who's also known as Bartholomew, Matthew was last week, and tonight we finish the second group of four by looking at this guy named Thomas. Now, let's just go ahead and address the elephant in the room because Thomas is better known as Doubting Thomas, okay? So I think we're pretty much unanimous here. That's how we know this guy. But my question is, is that fair? Tonight, we're going to look at that, the apostle with the unfair label. You can see where I stand on that, right? The apostle with the unfair label. So it's probably fair to say Thomas was somewhat of a negative person. I'll give you that. He was probably a worry war, maybe like Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh. He anticipated the worst. I'm just going to go. His greatest weakness might have been pessimism. In the Gospel of John, John calls Thomas Didymus. Didymus means twin. So he had a twin. We don't know if it was a twin sister, a twin brother. His twins never identified in Scripture. Like Nathaniel, Thomas is mentioned only one time in the three synoptic Gospels. That's Matthew, Mark, Luke. No details are given in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. We learn everything we know about his character from John's Gospel. So it becomes obvious, though, from John's record that Thomas has a tendency to maybe look into the darkest corners of life. He always seemed to anticipate the worst. Yet despite his pessimism, some wonderfully redeeming elements of his character come through in John's gospel. John's first mention of Thomas is found in John chapter 11. Verse 16 says, Then said Thomas, which is called Didymus, unto his fellow disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. This single verse, like so many other verses we've looked at in this series, is one verse, but it speaks volumes about Thomas's character. In this context, John is describing the prelude to the resurrection of Lazarus. Now, Jesus had left Jerusalem. His life was in jeopardy there. So Jesus, his followers, they leave Jerusalem. Scripture tells us that they went back to the place where John used to baptize. John the Baptist used to baptize beyond the Jordan River. So great crowds of people came to hear Jesus preach in John 10, 42. And scripture says many believed in him there. So let's get out of Jerusalem. Let's get to a safe place in the wilderness. Go beyond where John baptized. Great things start happening. Crowds, multitudes are believing in him. They, this might have been the most fruitful time of ministry for Jesus and his disciples uh, since they began following Jesus. People were responsive. Souls were being converted. Jesus was able to minister freely without any really uh, opposition from the religious leaders in, in Jerusalem. Things are going great. But something happened. What was that something? Well, John 11, 1 starts telling us a certain man was sick. His name was Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary that anointed the Lord with ointment, wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. 
Bethany was on the outskirts of Jerusalem. I mean, they're like kind of neighborly cities, right, right near each other. Jesus had formed a close and loving relationship with the family who lived there. He'd stayed with them. They had provided for his needs. They were apparently very close friends. So when his dear friend Lazarus gets sick, Mary and Martha send for Jesus and let him know, hey, somebody let him know, let Jesus know, Lazarus is sick. They knew that if Jesus would come and see Lazarus, hey, it would be good, he'd be fine, because Jesus, they believe, was the miracle worker. But this presented a quandary. If Jesus wanted to go to Bethany, he had to go back close to Jerusalem. He was walking into the very teeth of that kind of hostility. Let's go next to the city where we had to leave in the first place because everybody there that's in the religious leadership circle wants to kill you. So they were already determined to kill him. He had eluded their grasp once, but if he returned to Bethany, they were certain to find out. Multitudes followed Jesus. They were all... Very, they were, these were very real and dangerous things to consider at that time. So John writes in verse 5, he says, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And when he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days in the same place where he was. Now, at first glance, that statement there seems to kind of contra- contradict each other. You know, Jesus loved Lazarus in his family, so he decided to stay put while Lazarus was dying. You kind of read that verse like, wait, what? What? Show me that verse again. He was, he loved the family so much that he go, went ahead and waited two days while he died. Jesus deliberately tarried to give Lazarus time to die. This was an act of love because raising Lazarus from the dead was an even greater miracle than healing him. Could it be that God sometimes waits on our situations in life until they get to be just a little bit more miraculous? So Jesus waits and a couple more days and Lazarus now is dead for, 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 for days by the time he arrives. And at this point, look what Jesus says to the disciples. Verse 7. After that, he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. His disciples probably thought he was crazy. Verse 8, his disciples said, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee. You're going to go there again? They weren't probably, let's, let's, let's be real here. They weren't probably just looking out for Jesus. You want us all to go? I mean, you've told us before, if they do it to the master, they're going to do it to the followers. Like, hello, I don't really want to go there right now. The ministry in the wilderness was phenomenal. In Jerusalem, they all risked being stoned. It was not a good time to go to Bethany. Bethany was virtually within sight of the temple with Jesus' most bitter enemies. That was their headquarters in Jerusalem. So Jesus then aims to calm the disciples and let them know, you guys got nothing to fear. They did not want to go back and die. But Jesus finally lets them know, hey, Lazarus, he's not just sleeping, he's dead. Verse 14, then said Jesus to them plainly, because they don't get it sometimes. So he says plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad for your sakes I wasn't there to the intent that you might believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. You weren't there, but you know what? You're going to believe. We're going to go do something awesome. Come with me. 
So they finally seem to get the reason why Jesus felt like he needed to go there. Hey, this is his buddy. He's dead, man. We got to go. It's going to happen. But to them, this was the, the worst possible disaster. And at this point, it was Thomas. It was not Peter. For once, Peter kept his mouth shut. It wasn't James. It wasn't John. It's Thomas who speaks up first. And the first time we hear about him from John in the Gospel of John, Thomas says, which is called Didymus, to his fellow disciples in verse 16, he says, all right, let us also go so we might die with him. Wow. Wow. They fully expected, if we roll back into Bethany, he's dead, and so are we. And Thomas, after Jesus explains, hey, guys, he's dead. I'm going to show you something. Thomas speaks up and says, guys, let's go with him, and let's go die with him. I'll tell you what. This might have been pessimistic. He honestly couldn't see anything but disaster looming. You know, the, the optimistic person, well, if he's got confidence, you know, it's going to work out. You never know what's going to happen. If you're an optimist, raise your hand. Uh, we need more optimists in Refuge Church. My goodness. If you're the one that says, we're going to die, let's just go get it done, raise your hand. <laughs> if... If you're here tonight, you don't even know what you do, or you fluctuate day by day. Raise your hand. All right, there, there, there's that. That's the majority. Okay. <laughs> wow. He believes Jesus is headed straight for a stoning, but if that was what the Lord determined to do, Thomas was ready to give up everything. That's the kind of guy you want on your side. Thomas was totally devoted to Jesus. He may have been equal to John in that regard. We always think the disciple who loved Jesus, that's John. It's John. John's the guy that loves Jesus. But when you read this account and you see that Thomas didn't want to go on with life without Jesus, he was like, if Jesus is going to die, I'm going to die too. Thomas was an example of strength to the rest of the apostles because it appears that they collectively followed his lead and said, okay, let's go because they all Followed Jesus to Bethany. So Thomas obviously had some influence. He had a deep devotion to Christ. He never had an illusion that living for Jesus was going to be easy. We don't ever see that. People accuse him of being the pessimist, but we don't ever see him as, oh yeah, it'll be, it'll be simple, piece of cake. All that guy saw was the jaws of death opening to swallow him. But he follows Jesus with immense courage and resolves to die for him. Thomas' profound love for Jesus shows up again in John 14. Verse 1, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me, Jesus says. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, 
you may be also. Whither I go, you know in the way you know. <laughs> Thomas jumps in. Lord, we don't know where you, we don't know where you're going. And how can we know the way? There's pessimism kicking back in strong right there. Jesus is doing this teaching. Hey, I'm going to be with you. You're going to be with me always. I'm always going to come back and get you. I'm going to prepare a place. Hey, hold it. I don't know where you're going, and I don't even know how to get there. You know, the other disciples are going, oh, God, help me, Jesus. Oh, Thomas is at it again. You're leaving. I don't know where to go. But here's a man with deep love. He's a man whose relationship with Christ was so strong, he never wanted to be severed from him. His heart was just broken when Jesus starts talking about leaving and I'm going to be a, there's going to be a divide between us. There's going to be a separation just for a season. He's like, no, no, well, tell me, where do I go? Don't speak in these riddles. I want to know where's the place and how do I get there? But then Thomas's worst fears come to pass. Jesus dies and he doesn't. Now he's trying to figure out what life is going to look like without Jesus. This was his worst nightmare. And this is where we catch the next glimpse into Thomas's life in John 20. Jesus dies. Disciples are just mourning. They're in deep sorrow. They, for whatever reason, they all get together to mourn. And, but, but for whatever reason, Thomas isn't there that day. Why wasn't he there? We can only speculate. Was he pessimistic? Was he like, fun? I mean, was he just, I don't want to be around anybody right now. I mean, if you just lost somebody that you loved so dearly, you might not feel like going to the house party. You know? And so he's not there that day. And John 20, 19 says that Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Fear, these guys are in absolute fear. Suddenly, Jesus is there standing among them and says, peace be with you. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hand, his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they're forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they're not forgiven. And one of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, wasn't there that day. Thomas missed the whole thing. Why? I don't know. But was he feeling alone, betrayed, forsaken, rejected? It was over. The one he loved was gone. He was dead. He obviously wasn't in the mood to socialize. He wanted to be alone. Maybe he was depressed. But then his buddies got to tell him about it in verse 25. They said to him, man, we saw the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hand and put my fingers in them and place my hand in the wound in his side. There we go. Doubting Thomas. Doesn't believe in the... The resurrection. Now he, there's that pessimism. But honestly, this might have hurt even worse. Because even if it was true, even if maybe he's going, now that's too good to be true, I don't believe. We don't see him say that. But 
Even if it was true, even if the pessimist says, okay, so there's a chance he's alive. I'm wondering if that hurts and stings even just a little bit more because, oh, man, I was so close. To him. I loved him so much. Why would he show up when I'm not there? If we're real, I think at least one of us in the sanctuary or one of us watching online might have been able to relate to that. Has God ever done something for someone that he didn't do for you? And you're like, Lord, I've been faithfully serving you for so long. Man. Doubting Thomas. But I want us to consider for a few moments. Remember the other disciples, they didn't believe in the resurrection until they saw Jesus either. Mark 16, 9 says, after Jesus rose from the dead early on Sunday... The first person who saw him was Mary Magdalene, the woman who, uh, from whom he cast out seven demons. She went to the disciples who were grieving and weeping and told them what happened. But when she told them Jesus was alive and she had seen him, they didn't believe her. So now let's call them the doubting disciples. They're all doubters. Every one of them. So what sets Thomas apart from the doubt of the rest? I, I would argue that it wasn't that his doubt was greater, but it almost appears that his sorrow was greater. Nowhere in the Bible is doubting Thomas used. Not one single time. So I'm just curious who gave him that nickname. Was it given to him by other people like you and I who also doubt regularly? We're sometimes really good at labeling people who sin differently than we do. Who have different, I don't know how you could struggle with it. You've been walking with God that long. All you need to do is just do this because that's an area you don't struggle in. So you think they shouldn't struggle but then the weird part is, is they're not struggling with something you're struggling with. And so, I want to put myself in his spot. He left everything to follow Jesus. Jesus promises, I'm never going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. Then he watches his master die, thinks he's one of the 12 special people. He shows up to all the rest of him of them except for you. I don't think that would sit well with most of us. Man, you mean to tell me I've been walking with 12, 11 guys, me, one's a knucklehead, so it's 10 and me, and, and, and he shows up to every last one of them except me? No. I want to see it for myself. So Thomas says if he can rise from the dead, he can reveal himself to me. Some say, oh, you just never question God. You must never question God. Well, Job questioned why he was born. David said, why have you forsaken me? 
Jesus said the same thing on the cross. We all feel forsaken at times. We used to sing the song, Jesus, let me touch you and see if you are real. We can sing that song, but if Thomas says it, that doubter. I mean, we, we used to sing this song for worship. We're like, Bunch of doubters worshiping God. Look at how Jesus responds to what Thomas said and what Thomas felt. Because, of course, nobody had to tell Jesus what Thomas said. He, he's omnipotent, omnipresent. He knows all that. Jesus already knew, but he immediately, immediately approaches Thomas. John 20, 26, eight days later, which I will say this, that probably felt, we just fly past that and read the rest of the verse, that probably felt like the longest eight days of that man's life. Jesus is alive, the man that you were just so consumed with, in love with, gave everything, wanted to follow, never wanted to be a part, you were willing to die for, he showed up to not, to not oh, it was awesome, you should have been there. You ever miss one of those services and the service you miss? They're like, it was incredible. The music was on fire. People were slain in the spirit. God was everywhere. Signs, wonders, and miracles. 93 people got the Holy Ghost. And you were taking Dayquil. (laughs) And you're like, why every time? I'm not there. Come to church when the doors open. That's all I'm going to say. But. But eight days go by. Eight days. It's not like, yeah, he said, Jesus, I want to see you. And then 10 minutes later, he showed up. Thank you. Oh, this is wonderful. Eight days that you had to sit there and fight with. Is he really alive? If so, why, why, wouldn't, he, why wouldn't he do this for me? Why wouldn't he show up in my life when I want him to show up? So eight days later, the disciples were together again. This time, John writes, lets you know, this time Thomas was with them. I doubt he ever missed a function again. (laughs) The doors were locked. They were still living in fear. And this time Thomas is there. The doors are locked and suddenly Jesus was standing among them Peace be with you. I wonder where Thomas was in the room. I wonder what he was doing when all of a sudden he heard a voice and he was like, I know that voice. I know that voice. Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, He doesn't speak to anybody else. He said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. 
put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless. Believe. And Thomas said, and I teach this in Bible studies all the time, I highly doubt that Thomas was like, man, that's awesome, my Lord, my God. There is no doubt in my mind that he was weeping, probably uncontrollably, as he fell to his knees and said, my Lord, my God. He did not speak to a triune deity and say, my Lord, and my God. And have you seen the spirit anywhere? <laughs> my Lord, my God, because the Father, the Son, the Spirit are one and the same. And he says, my Lord, no doubt with tears streaming down his cheeks. I, I, I can't, I'm not, the Bible doesn't say, I don't know, but I cannot fathom anything other than that just weeping and crying out my lord my god which is one of the greatest theological statements in the whole new testament when you understand what thomas was saying there he was acknowledging him. he was not just a rabbi not just a teacher not just a mentor but he was the god of the old testament and he claimed him to be hey you are the God of the Old Testament, and you are present here in this place right now. And Jesus said, you believe because you've seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing. It's very easy to trust God when you see and feel his hand in your life. But can you trust God when you don't see or feel his hand in your life? Because that's where true blessing can come when we can say, I trust you. I don't necessarily see you right now. I don't even feel you. But I trust you. Jesus never chastises Hey, man, Thomas, dude, what's up with you? I can't believe I ever called you, doubter, doubting Thomas. He never chastises him, never calls him a doubter. He was amazingly gentle with Thomas. Matter of fact, it appears that Thomas was the only reason for the visit. What I see in this story is Jesus Christ was willing to reveal himself again to the group just so he could walk up to Thomas and say, put your finger right there. Put your hand right here in my side. Don't, don't, don't be faithless. Believe. Jesus Christ was willing to look past one man's hurt and confusion to show himself real and strong. That's powerful. Jesus was willing to look past the hurt and confusion of one man to show himself real and strong. And as I bring this around to a close, I will tell you, he is willing to do the exact same thing for you. 
that you could say, you just weren't here when I thought. I haven't felt you. It seems like you're showing up to everyone else but me. Oh, you're not supposed to question God? Go ahead and question him. He's big enough. His shoulders are broad enough to handle it. And sometimes if you do that with respect and a fear and reverence and say, God, I just don't understand what is going on. I don't know where you are. He will occasionally just show up there. It might be eight days because blessed are those who still believe even when they don't see, even when they don't feel. So if you haven't felt him or seen him or seen evidence of him in a while, keep going, keep going, keep going. Just, just keep going. He has big and strong enough to handle our questions. He can handle our doubt times when we're feeling anxious, uneasy, confused. Bring it to him. He'll be the one that shows up in your midst, and sometimes just for you. And he'll say, here I am. Is this what you were looking for? Is this what you're looking for? You were looking for this evidence. I am here to let you know I'm willing to look past your hurt, your doubt, your anxiety, your fear. Why? Because I love you. And that's what I see with Thomas. Doubting Thomas, we're all doubters at times. Doubting Gary. I've doubted him before. I've doubted. I've wondered where he was before. I guess I'm a doubter. No. Thomas didn't stay in that season. He didn't live there for the rest of his life. But he was immensely hurt and afraid. And he missed out on it. And so in his, he said, I'm not going to believe until I see it for myself. Well, if God would have found that just absolutely just reprehensible, just, ah, oh, ah, oh, he would have said, no, you will not, uh, you doubter. No, eight days later, Jesus shows up and says, this was your request. I love you enough to give it to you. That's, and so I invite you to stand to your feet tonight. Where'd Thomas end up? Well, there's a considerable amount of ancient testimony that suggests Thomas carried the gospel as far as India. There is, to this day, a small hill near an airport in India where they say Thomas is buried. Now, we don't know for sure. But there are churches in South India whose roots are traceable to the beginning of the church age. And tradition says they were founded by Thomas. Most people say that Thomas was martyred for his faith by being run through with a spear. Seems almost a fitting form of martyrdom, doesn't it? Considering that he not only wanted to die for Christ, but Jesus also uniquely and specially showed him the spear mark on his side. Maybe Thomas was looking forward to being reunited with Jesus so they could share spear marks. I know that sounds crazy to us, but in the first century, that's the way the believers thought. It was an absolute honor and a privilege 
to be martyred for the cause of Christ. It was said that Peter said, I don't want to be, I'm not worthy to be crucified, so he's crucified upside down. There's really no doubt in my mind that he said, I'm going to kill you with the spear. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty confident. Thomas was probably like, are you serious? Man, one day me and Jesus are going to go pair spear marks. Because that's what he, he wanted to be associated with his Lord and Savior. My Lord and my God. So tonight, I invite you to find a place to pray, no matter what you're going through. There's nothing that you can bring to Jesus and he says, oh, you doubter, I don't even want to hear that. He's the one that loves you so much that he's willing to look past your hurt and anxiety and fear and pain improve himself real in your life even when he doesn't necessarily have to he didn't owe Thomas that but he loved Thomas enough to do that I'm thankful to serve a God who offers that type of mercy and grace thank you Jesus